Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast where two friends stopped arguing about movies and started working through them together. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. To start off 2024, we're looking back at 2023 and watching a movie that came out just a couple months ago. For this episode, we're watching The Holdovers, Alexander Payne's latest comedic drama, which is getting a lot of attention heading into awards season. Like so many others, we were excited for the reunion of Payne with Paul Giamatti 20 years after Sideways, and we wanted to see if The Holdovers really is a new holiday staple, as many critics have claimed. The Holdovers was only in theaters for less than a month before it started streaming on Peacock. Even so, it grossed over $20 million, presumably due to the positive response from critics who nearly universally praised the performances by Giamatti, Davine Joy Randolph, and newcomer Dominic Sessa. Awards season has brought a slew of nominations, including high-profile wins for Giamatti and Randolph at the Golden Globes. And we're recording this before the nominees are named, but it seems like Oscar nominations are a given, and Randolph has found herself the frontrunner for Best Supporting Actress. But history has told us that winning awards isn't a guarantee of quality. Is the holdovers like a henhouse ladder? Keep listening. Good news, gentlemen. I was able to reach Dr. Woodruff and your parents. Uh, most of them, anyway. Try calling again. Just one more time, please. There's no point. The front desk says they're not answering. He says they're away on some excursion. Excursion? <laughs> you know, I'm as disappointed as you are, if not more so. I could have been spending the rest of my vacation reading mystery novels. Okay, maybe they're back now. Just call again, please. Okay. Happy holidays. Same to you. Take care, Tilly. Yes, that just leaves you, huh? Be sure to do all your homework. All right, so that is a scene from the movie we are discussing today, The Holdovers. That was uh, Paul Giamatti as Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Hunnam. That's helpful. <laughs> the kind of cantankerous, cranky instructor at Barton Academy. Yeah. And he's uh, delivering the news to Angus, played yeah. by Dominic Sessa. Newcomer. First Newcomer. Film. Yep, yep. And Never he's, been uh, movie before. He, he's delivering the news that they're going to be stuck together <laughs> over this break. So that's the movie we're discussing today, a movie that is, uh, you know, new. New either in the theater, if you're lucky enough to catch it anywhere, maybe still playing. But I think most of us are catching up with it at this point on Peacock. Yeah. Is this the newest movie we've ever done? I remember we did The Five Bloods. And that had like just dropped. Oh, on that's Netflix. right. That's right. That's right. Okay, but it is rare for us. Yeah. Now maybe we should talk a little bit about why we chose this movie, what mm-hmm. our plan was. First of all, thank you for coming back, yeah, uh, listeners. Happy, after this break, happy twenty twenty four. It's uh, it feels good to get back into the swing of things a little bit. Now, am I right? Are we entering our tenth year, or was last year our tenth year? I think we're entering. Okay. I think this is our 10th year. Our first year was 2014. Yeah. I know that because my kids were born in late 2013 and they were still very, very, very young when we got started. And yeah. now they're 10 years old, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so funny. yeah, 10 years we've been doing this. It looks like it was February 2014. So we're... Months. Okay. All right. Next month will be the okay. When it's this much of the deep dark winter, who can tell between January, February? Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, the Midwest got slammed with its first big snowstorm. So watching a movie 
about people in snowstorms. It felt perfect. It felt seasonal. Um, that's not why we chose it. It just no. serendipitously happened that way. Um, but why we chose it is, I don't know, a little circuitous, I guess. Uh, we hadn't picked anything. We said at the end of our last one, when we took the December break, that we'd figure it out. And it was maybe two weeks ago or last week, I think, we were talking and we were like, well, we still haven't picked anything. And first off, we had kicked around the idea of doing kind of a, a year theme like, mm-hmm, we've, right. like we did last, last year. Week, last year was the gap year. It was our gap year. Was the year before that we kind of brought in more people? We brought in more guests. And yeah, had, as much as we and could. Yeah, had, we, and we had them talk about movies that meant a lot to they them. They wanted to that talk was, about yeah. it. Um, and so we, th- we talked about the idea of doing a year of movies we've meant to rewatch. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we all have those movies that you saw it once, maybe a yeah. bunch of people talk about it, or you, you wanted to see it again, but you just never got around I, to it. I think we even branded it as, I've been meaning to rewatch that. Bringing out the dead last, last year was Nate's gap year. It wasn't a gap for me, but it was very strong. I've been meaning to rewatch yeah. that. Maybe to the point that you forgot anything about it. You just know that you saw it. Um, and we may still do that. But we always find ourselves sort of catching up on the year before further into the next year. Yes. So we've seen a fair amount of movies from 2023, not as many as we've wanted to. So I've been meaning to watch that versus I've been meaning to sure. rewatch yeah. that. Um, and 2023 felt like a pretty big year in movies mm-hmm. with big name directors coming out with movies maybe for the first time in a long time or just certainly a kind of a, a return to form you've got martin scorsese with killers of the flower moon you've got christopher nolan with oppenheimer greta gerwig with barbie just to name three of like the biggest movies of right. the year then you had todd haynes, you with, had may todd haynes with may december you had the holdovers with alexander, alexander Payne. Payne. And you had a bunch of really impressive debuts, like yes. I think both of our favorite Celine movies songs, of the year. Past Lives, I think, is exactly. what we're both thinking. Past yeah. Lives, uh, her first movie. And so for now, we're thinking this year will be, I've been meaning to watch slash rewatch that. Uh, and if it's, I've been meaning to watch it, it will be 2023 movies probably. Yeah. So who knows how strong the theme will be, but we're kicking off 2024 by watching a movie from 2023. Uh, because we've both been meaning to watch it. Now, right. You did watch this I did before watch it. we chose it. I did watch it, but here's the thing. So this, I would even carry the rewatching theme into our discussion about 2023 mm. because I think what happens to me every year is you hit that late December, early January period and you tear through a ton of the movies yeah. you've been told are the good movies. Right. And hey, I'd be lying if I didn't say I love that part of the year. Yeah. Like it's I seriously, I look forward to it now as part of my sort of calendar year, I'm mm-hmm. like, the end of the year is going to be great. I'm going to be watching so many good movies and just kind of being rejuvenated again about what cinema is doing now, mm-hmm. you know? But the downside to that is you watch so many really great movies. Like, all at once. All at once. Yeah. And then very rarely do I actually go back and mm-hmm. kind of rewatch a lot of them, at least especially within a relatively short time frame yeah you know usually if i rewatch it it maybe is a couple years later right but i also know that there's a lot of value from taking a movie that you know is good and just giving it another watch to just kind of reinforce what is it that you really liked about it what is it that you didn't yeah so for you with the holdovers this is a brand new watch for right. the episode yeah but for me i had actually just watched it like a week before yeah and then i rewatched That's it kind for of a cool exercise and then i rewatched it for this this recording yeah and so i would even maybe 
carry that over throughout the year. Like we, you know, we'll probably watch movies that we have seen from 2023. Yeah. And, and basically be doing something that I think we both wish we could do more often. Give them the space of a rewatch after the hype yes. of the award season. Right. To kind of see how does the dust actually settle on some of these movies, uh-huh. you know? Well, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I don't know if it was in the episode or if it was just you and I talking about it, but when we did the Predator episode and we talked about Prey, how yeah. we both loved Prey and we were like, why wasn't this on so many year-end lists? And you said, because Prey wasn't the type of movie people who make year-end lists watch. Right. And then the next year, years later, they, they watch it and they're like, holy crap, that movie was really great. Yeah. That came out the same year as this. And it's easy to lose some of those gems Amid the hype. Yeah. It's sort of like our podcast gets to take part in a little bit more of a delayed conversation on some of these movies. Yeah. And I'm excited to work through the list of 2023 movies. And there are some that I just really would love to talk more about. So we'll see if you've got any that uh, you can suggest to us or that you would think are unwatched gems. Uh, Let us know as the year goes on. And actually, uh, speaking of that, before we jump right into the holdovers, which we do need to do, Mm -hmm. um, we did get uh, one phone message, actually, from Andrew, who's been on our show, uh, been a guest, did Mm -hmm. uh, Josie and the Pussycats uh, episode with us. Mm -hmm. But he had some thoughts on the year 2023, and uh, let's let's just have a listen to what he said. Hello, can we still be friends? It's Andrew. Uh, I know that there is a 2023 reflection show coming up. And I wanted to make sure to have thoughts on three specific movies that made a pretty big impact on me. All three animation. Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse. I was destined to like it in all of my fandom. Spider-Man 2099 is my absolute favorite. Spider-Man, Miguel O'Hara, is such a different Spider-Man. And I was worried what they would do with him. But my thoughts are not all wrapped up in Spider-Man 2099, really, it's more in Spider-Gwen or Gwen Stacy. For every scene that they went back to her world, it really was a masterpiece. After seeing the movie, I have heard many people say, watch the movie, pick a frame, it's a piece of art. The second movie, Seth Rogen's Mutant Mayhem. I thought it was actually pretty dang realistic uh, to what teenagers perhaps might be going through in this era, Uh, but more so it was fun. It didn't betray all of my own Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sensibilities. And again, the artists did something different. They picked their own lane and it too was beautiful to look at. Lastly, The Boy and the Heron. I hadn't seen a Miyazaki film um, on the big screen. It's a slow movie. It's a slow build. It is beautiful, like every Miyazaki film is. Um, It leaves you in scenes for such a long time where you're trying to get your bearings and figure out what's going on. But while you're figuring it out, you're really enjoying it. And it feels so much more personal. It is so Miyazaki. And so this year, 2023, my reflections this year are really going to be on the animation. So love you, dudes. Have a good one. 
So there he's really hitting the animation of 2023 yeah. hard, which we didn't even mention when we were kind of dropping names. If we're talking award season, this is an extremely competitive animated, animated film, film category, category yeah. which is not often the case. I'm, I'm sure we're going to probably hit on animation a little bit this year. We'd yeah, be, we're gonna we, have it'd to. be criminal not to. Yeah. So uh, just keep that in mind, Andrew. And who knows, maybe we'll have you on the podcast yeah. to talk about it. Why not? See. So let's dive into the year uh, of our show and uh, dive into our first movie, The, the Holdovers. Yeah. Like just before we, I get your initial reaction on what you thought of the holdovers. Are you a huge Alexander Payne fan? What were your feelings about the holdovers before you actually watched it? I was excited to see it from the first time I saw the trailer. I will always pay attention to an Alexander Payne movie. He hasn't actually directed that much, right? Uh, which is surprising. I'm like looking a half dozen at it. movies, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Like it's, election was it's like Citizen Ruth, right? Citizen Ruth, election, election about, about Schmidt, Schmidt sideways. sideways. Then the Descendants, Nebraska, Downsizing, and the Holdovers. Um, and I've seen all of those except for Downsizing, which just didn't seem like a very good movie. I don't think anybody saw that movie. Um, and I didn't see Citizen Ruth, and I think that's the only two I haven't seen. I've seen Citizen Ruth. It's been a very long time, but it was like in the vein of election like that very sort of biting targeted political type of movie which he hasn't done as much since he's also been someone who's pretty varied in his screenwriting output like he he doesn't write all of his movies although he has written some of them he's also written jurassic park 3 really and i didn't even know that i now pronounce you chuck and larry like he's written some movies that it's sort of like maybe okay so he's not above just taking a paycheck sometimes. It doesn't seems like. seem like it. Um, you know, I don't fault him so for that. Again, really. No, not at all. So it wasn't until I saw the trailer and saw the look of the film and Paul Giamatti and Davine Joy Randolph, who I've really enjoyed in the last few years. In um, Oh, Dolomite, she's great. Dolomite, she was incredible. She, her, I mean, she's got a small part in um, Only Murders in the Building, but she's That's really right. great in that. She's the, she's um, the, the chief the investigator. Detective. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and she's incredible in the TV show High Fidelity. She's amazing. She kind of plays the, seen. I know, I know. I, I don't know why you haven't. She, I, I know, because you love High Fidelity, but she, she plays the kind of Jack Black character, and she's unbelievable and it's so amazing to see her range to see her kind of in this type of movie was really exciting oh and then it got a ton of attention as people are talking about it more and um so it was always going to be one that i wanted to see but it probably would have been one that i didn't get around to for a while if it hadn't been for you honestly talking oh really like saying that you really liked it and that we oh spoiler sorry nate really liked it (laughs) And, but I'd watch um, it again. You never know. That's true. It could have gone down. Um, what about you? Uh, so for me, like Alexander Payne is one of those directors that with his movies, I feel like they're always at least okay. Yeah. And most of them I like. And then there's like half of his output that I actually like love. Mm. Like I love like about half of his output. Yeah. So, you know, I see the trailer for Holdovers and this is coming off of Downsizing. Yeah. And I don't know, the trailer kind of I don't, it bugged me. The 70s thing felt like a gimmick yeah. to me. That you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. And I was kind of bracing myself for some disappointment, mm-hmm. actually. 
And then I guess we can maybe now, I guess, start getting into actual viewings. Mm -hmm. I watched this like New Year's Day. I had wanted to see it in the theaters because it was starting to get some good buzz. And it seemed like a movie that would be good Mm -hmm. to maybe see in the theater. I bet it is. But it wasn't playing anywhere. Like we actually had like me and my wife had a date night New Year's Eve. So we were going to go see a movie. And I want that's what I wanted to see. And it just wasn't playing anywhere. And then I was just like, wait a second. We got Peacock. (laughs) It's like on there. We can watch this. So the next day, uh, we just put it on. And I just felt really pleasantly surprised. I I just really loved the whole feeling and atmosphere Mm -hmm. of the movie. Even though the trailer bugged me, when the movie actually got going, like all the jokes that I didn't know from the trailer, if they would actually work or not, were landing really well. I thought the movie was really funny. And then I just really, I just grew to really love these three characters. All three of them. Mm Mm-hmm. This was one of my favorite watching experiences of the year. Yeah. So I rated it really high. I put it at four and a half yeah. on my letterboxed. Um, and then I rewatched it for the podcast and my appreciation of it only grew. Oh. I could leave it at four and a half, but I man, it'd be I, a five star movie I, for you. I really wow. love this movie. I could watch it again right yeah. now. I could yeah. pop it in right now and watch it again. And, it's got that feel. And there were there were elements of the characters because you if you watch it another a second time you kind of know where it's going to go yeah. you know what the arc is and then you try to see if the characters are true to themselves throughout the whole movie and i just think it's a really in that way it's a really, really tight movie yeah. like the characters expand mm-hmm. but every way in which they expand feels true to who they are mm-hmm. and is and and, and narrative wise is entirely earned Maybe you felt differently. How do you feel? What do you think? No, I, I absolutely feel that way. For me, from the first frame, the vibe had me. I mean, it's not shot on film, but they made it look like, like it was shot like on it, film. Yeah. It was immediately warm. And yep. I had it in my head because you talked about it earlier, but I it, it, I immediately saw it too. Just that Hal Ashby mm-hmm. sort of being there, uh, Harold and Maud feeling and i love hal ashby movies mm-hmm. I, me too bound for glory even like i love that movie yeah uh, that's actually i haven't seen that one that's one of the but, f- few of his that i haven't seen but immediately i wanted to live in the world of the movie not yep. like not live where they are but just it's one of those movies that you i, I want around me you know and i don't think it's the first scene but it's definitely an establishing scene early on where it's just them walking through the snow with the Damien Gerardo Silver yes, Joy song. Yeah. Not a song I was familiar with until after the mm-hmm. movie. And that song is not from the 70s. That no. song's from like 2014. It's that delicate seventies warm, but but cold. It's like yeah. it's a warm feeling, yes. but it's winter. Everybody's bundled up, and the snow is gentle. They're they're not close up shots. It's just sort of establishing yep. shots of kids walking and teachers walking on the campus to this James, Damien Gerardo song. And 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 you're right. It just it immediately takes you back to the feeling of those seventies movies. Hal Ashby, absolutely. But I'm thinking hearing Leonard yeah. Cohen in yeah. Mr. McCabe yes. and Mrs. Miller. Absolutely. I'm thinking hearing, well, like you said, like hearing Cat Stevens and Harold and Maude. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking Simon of, and Garfunkel in The, Simon the Garfunkel Graduate. Simon and Garfunkel Graduate. Yeah. So it's like Altman, yeah, Ashby, it's all uh, Nichols. American it's just, 70s. <laughs> yes. In addition to the setting, like the, the wood interiors, just everything. It's just warm. It's the sort of like... You you know how it feels to come in from the cold into a warm, mm-hmm. cozy room, and that is what 
the movie feels like to me. So here's my question then. Uh, I'm glad you like the movie. I'm trying to figure out for myself, the trailer, that whole thing felt to me like a cheap gimmick. Mm. And then when I just saw it executed, I was like, it is working. Mm-hmm. It why do you think felt why, like a gimmick at the very beginning? Yeah, like the seventies focus features, Miramax, like that they redid the that, things. That did bug me. I the didn't focus know what features. they were doing. I don't know why. It's a small gripe I have, but I just thought it's too cutesy to do the because they because they made <laughs> they made that seventies era focus features. They invented it. They invented that obviously because right. yeah, it wasn't around in the Miramax 70s. and Focus didn't yeah. exist back then. So my I guess my question is, what do you think the purpose serves of not just setting this in 1970 but shooting it that way drawing a direct line to yes i am trying to make it feel like hal ashby yeah because you could shoot this movie straight like you you could shoot this movie set in that time period but just shoot it contemporary contemporary. yeah well because they even added like film grain and stuff like they added imperfections i don't know (laughs) it's because it doesn't feel gimmicky no but you, you didn't have to go to those lengths right you know, with Licorice Pizza, P.T. Anderson did that, but yeah. he didn't contrive those sorts of things. And I, we're talking a lot about sort of like the the textural quality of it. But yeah. even in the shooting, like there's, for instance, there's the scene where he's calling out Angus's name. Mm-hmm. And it starts with him zoomed in. Yeah. And then it does the really fast zoom out. Yeah, you there's know? fast it's, zooms it, and slow zooms. Yeah. Like it's a lot of, yeah. A lot of throwbacks to that kind of filmmaking. I don't have an idea, you know, thematically as to why it would do that. Other than it feels like, in addition to set design and costume and hair, it is a way to make this feel of its time. There's an awareness that the way movies were made was also specific to that Mm -hmm. time. To me, it's further just putting us in that time period rather than giving us the distance of... We're watching this 50 years later, this story from back then. It's like we're watching this story from then about then yes and you know I'm, I'm getting ready to call this a five-star movie so obviously that if you want to call it a gimmick doesn't actually bother me anymore no sure and so what i'm thinking is though i think a purpose it might be serving is to sort of say something or at least let you sit with an idea about nostalgia hmm. I, I think we're talking about a nostalgia for a time well we didn't even live in that time right but i think it's even for me it's like a nostalgia of the first time i discovered all those movies sure like, I was feeling this nostalgia for like, oh, yeah, you remember that first time when you watched Mr. McCabe and Mrs. Miller or you watched Jeremiah Johnson or, mm-hmm. you know, The Graduate or any of these movies we just talked about? Where you're like, didn't like some, couldn't somebody wipe the lens? <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition with this Paul Hunnam character yeah. who says – that he doesn't understand the world anymore. Right. That it's a bitter place to him. And he also is someone who takes a lot of comfort in the past. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in ancient civilizations and in history yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And I might be overthinking it because it could have just been as simple as Alexander Pangs being like, I wonder if I could make a movie yeah, like I that. Yeah, I wonder if I could make a movie that looks like <laughs> Hal Ashby, yeah. But I do think that because it's a movie that's set 50 years ago, but with what the people are feeling and what they're dealing with yeah. feels very relevant to today in a lot of ways. It's sort of reinforcing the idea the movie makes, which is that 
the world has always just been a pretty messed up place. But these things that can evoke this nostalgia in us that are just nice to sometimes visit because as we're sort of enveloped in this nostalgia, we can kind of be reminded of like what it is to be a real person living in in time and space. I mean, all three of the characters have pasts that they all have negative feelings about. We find out about Mary's immediately that her son died in Vietnam. Then we find out about Angus's father and his mental breakdown and his fear of what that means for him. Um, And then we find out that Paul's entire life has been built on a false past. Right. And it's about all three of them figuring out what that past means for their future. We all individually, collectively have the past to deal with and worry about what that means for the future. And so it's an interesting thing to make a movie that feels like it's from then with the 50 years of context and perspective and to see that some of the fears are the same, you know, like when Paul talks about his lack of hope for the world and what good is he doing as a teacher that hit home so strongly <laughs> for you as a teacher. Yeah. And I guess I thought I could make a difference. I mean, I used to think I could prepare them for the world, even a little, mm-hmm. provide standards and grounding like Dr. Green always drilled into us, but uh, the world doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> it's on fire. The rich don't give a shit. Poor kids are cannon fodder, integrity's a punchline. Trust is just a name on a bank. Well, look, if that's all true, then now's when they most need someone like you. Um, That was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, this is definitely drawing parallels to what a lot of us are feeling right now. But also provide standards and grounding like Dr. Green always drilled into us. That's also nostalgia. Like, it didn't used to be this way. People are always saying, man, it wasn't like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And this movie's sort of saying, like, it's always like it used to be. Right. And that sucks. So many of the people right now who are saying it's not the way it used to be. I wish it was like it. They're talking about where this movie set. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's the time they're talking about. And I don't, the the movie didn't lean on this. And it's, I'm, I'm not trying to make this movie into like the white ribbon or anything, but these are the people who would have been the power people in the 80s. Right, like the kids, mm-hmm. the kids, the kids who grow uh, up, yeah, who who Paul was teaching you know, teaching at 70s, this time yeah. would have been ten years later the ones who were you know voting Reagan in, who were Wall Street, Wall Street and yeah. like doing all of that. It's sort of like yeah, Paul wasn't wrong, right? You know, like these people needed some humbling, they needed some grounding, they you know whether it was ancient greek that they needed who knows but they needed something and they didn't seem to get it (laughs) yeah and well but you know what i also what i also thought was really funny in this movie is like we live in a time where we're really quick to call other people nazis or this is like nazi germany and the two times that happens in the movie which is to each other like one time it's angus to paul and then it's paul to angus yeah it's 
always when they're actually getting their shit called out on them. Yeah, right. Like when they're yeah. actually getting called oh out. Oh my gosh, yeah. They're actually getting called out. And he says, um, I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina in yeah. the early on. And then later, Paul's like, what is this, Nuremberg? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just somebody trying to hold them accountable for their behavior. Right. Yeah, yeah that's really funny. I found myself, and I think you're supposed to, kind of found myself being like, well, he's not... It's not wrong. Right. And actually, maybe these kids need a little bit of Paul in their yeah, life. Right. You know? Yeah. Not every teacher needs to be like Paul Hunnam, no. but it's not bad to have a teacher like that sometimes. Right. You know? Especially not bad for people who are going to fail up. These are the rich and powerful children who will land on their feet. I mean, I know she's sad about her son and everything, but still, she's getting paid to do a job and she should do it well, right? But I guess no matter how bad a cook she is, now they can never fire her. You, you, shut up! You have no idea what that woman has been through. You know, Mr. Koontz, for most people, life is like a hen house ladder, shitty and short. You were born lucky. Maybe someday you entitled little degenerates will appreciate that. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. And we will have failed to do our jobs. Now, eat. It's not, he's not wrong, like you said, that life is like a henhouse ladder for a lot of people. But to me, it was like, okay, a teacher in the 70s was feeling this in an incredibly historically tumultuous time. I don't know if this was the intention, but it feels like that the filmmakers, and I certainly as a teacher, I'm saying that's happening now again. Yes. So that idea of looking at the past and worrying about the future. and I find myself like agreeing more with what he's saying yeah. uh, than maybe I'm comfortable with, yeah. but still it's sort of like there is a cycle to the way not just history repeats itself, but like how we age and, <laughs> you know, is kind of cyclical. And you kind of see where the movie's headed. From the trailer, right? Like, right, yeah. These three unlikely people, they're not happy together. Of course, they're going to end up happy together, right? By the end. And it goes there, but it's not overt. It's not unrealistic. The most you can say is they see each other differently. Yeah. And that's it. But it's also enormous. Like, it's sort of saying it doesn't need to be a monumental change to be monumental. That Angus will always carry the way that he knows Paul throughout the rest of his life. And he understands himself a little bit better because of Paul. He also will perhaps seek to understand other people. Maybe not. Right. Maybe the very least he understands Paul better, and that's some growth. Paul, same thing. He had pigeonholed every student. Like Every student was like somebody that he needed to change. And now he saw Angus was somebody who didn't need to be changed he was a pain in the ass but he was a good guy a good kid a smart kid a kid with fears that were weighing him down that were part of why he was a pain in the ass but right. like understanding that he's got some stuff stacking the deck against him yeah. and they made a big impact in each other's lives and 
that the movie is sort of saying is is enough. One of the smartest things I think the movie does is like to to just sort of like you're saying, just not make it bigger than it needs to be, right. and just keep it true and grounded. Going back to just the core reason why I really love this movie is I just love these three characters, all yeah. three of them. Yeah, uh, I think Dominic Sessa does such a great job as Angus, even with just like bringing out the comedy that mm-hmm. maybe is not really in the actual dialogue at all, but it's just the way that he says it is yeah. so funny to me. The way he kept saying in the beginning where he's just like, this is the most bullshit ever. Like he says <laughs> that like two or three times, but it's the way he says it that I think is so funny. Yeah, he was great. He was so <laughs> assured. It, I mean, the the Rushmore, like Jason Schwartzman, I think that was maybe one of his first roles. I think so, yeah, as far as I know. And just to to take control of a movie across from Paul Giamatti, across yeah. from Bill Murray... I think, um, speaking of the performances, Dave, I enjoy Randolph. Oh my gosh. There were so many scenes where I'm like, this could be the Oscar clip, but it is so different from other similar characters you've seen. Mm -hmm. Like she has, for all intents and purposes, her breakdown scene at the party, but it is so subtle. Yeah. And where so many people we've seen go big, go loud. She swallows all yeah. of it well there's that to me there's two parts to that yeah. scene the there's music, the music part which is that mm-hmm. part is so layered oh my gosh it was incredible the layer of like she's lost in it mm-hmm. she's sad and she's grieving but she's just loving that moment then she kind of sees that she's being noticed yeah and then she kind of just all of a sudden becomes a little bit self-conscious of that and yeah. then to see it actually snap to anger yeah <laughs> it's just it's so heartbreaking yeah and then the scene in the kitchen it's just, it's just astounding. All right. You all right? Just leave me alone. You want me to take you home? Back off. She's, just, she's incredible. She's so like, she just turns around and she just deflates, yeah. you know, it's a powerful scene. It is. And I love that. Like all the other characters in that room, they don't know what to do, but they just kind of do the right thing. Paul Giamatti's character, Paul Hunnam, he just closes the door. Right. Right. You know? right. And the other guy, he, well, and Angus went and got him. Yeah. Like just, and Angus is like, he's a kid and yeah. he just kind of takes it in. Like he doesn't well, say anything. He well, doesn't, you know, he's a kid who knows. When adults need other adults to like help them, right? right? Like he's had to do that for his dad. And Um, the other guy, I don't, I forget the actor's name who plays the the maintenance man. mm -hmm. So good too. And he just, he's trying, you know, he like, he does everything that you would think you should do. And then when she's just like back off. Naheem Garcia. Yeah. He just does, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Naheem Garcia plays Danny. It knows when to show flawed characters as flawed, and it knows how to have those same characters show up when they need to. Yeah. That's true to them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make them a better person. No. It just makes them so human. I, I mean, we could, we could keep going on about 
Davine Joy Randolph in this movie. She's she's so incredible. But I also just really love not only the character of Mary, but just how the movie takes a lot of care with that character. Right. Um, that she isn't just that one-dimensional grieving mother. Mm-mm. That's a big part of her in this movie because it's so fresh. Like she is right in the middle of the hardest time of grieving something absolutely tragic, you know? Right. Um, and then she's being forced to work in a workplace that's just a constant reminder all mm-hmm. the time. And she just never gets a break from mm-hmm. that. But, you know, you get the really touching, funny scenes of her just watching the dating game with, you know, right. with with Paul. She's such a well-rounded, well-written character. And, and this is Wesley Morris. I read his review of this movie mm-hmm. in the New York Times. He was very positive on this movie. But he brought up the point that she kind of leaves for a while because she goes to visit her sister and she's kind of out of the movie for a little bit. And then she comes back a little bit later. And in a lesser movie, I think that could have been interpreted as just like a convenience thing. Like we need to kind of focus on these two characters. So she needs to leave. But Wesley Morris was like, no, like the way this movie has kind of built what happened in that party scene is all before that. Yeah. That like it's, it feels like a genuine sign of respect to just Mm. give her the time. Mm. Cause it ends with, her seeing her sister and her sitting on the bed, just like having good, positive family, family, family time. time. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, let's just leave her here yeah. for a little bit. It's just touching, you know, like it's just, it's the movie takes such great care with these characters. I yeah. feel like. And that, that's contagious when you're watching it because you just, you want what's best for these characters, even though they are really flawed. Yeah. And it doesn't end by giving you that huge payoff of they're all going to be great after yeah. this, but it's just like, it was a real joy to spend time with these people in, in the movie. And we should get to how funny this movie is because we're going to make it sound like yeah, it's, a, it's a, just, a downer. just a downer. But like, I do want to spend a little bit more time talking about how also I think pain is so good at portraying all the different kinds of sadness that people can go through. Sure, There's like one really quick scene, actually. It's like right around when the, the Latter-day Saint kid loses his glove. Yeah. And the the just sort of despair he has over that. Then it actually switches to a shot of Mary doing a jigsaw puzzle alone in her mm-hmm. apartment. Mm-hmm. That kind of grief. Mm. Then that's actually when it switches back over to the other kid who was kind of part of this group, uh, who I think was from Korea, um, who's crying in his bed because he had a nightmare and he yeah, wet it. And then he also talks about how he's just misses his family and he's so alone and it's just all like it just stacks that sadness you know yeah um but then the movie still doesn't forget that it's a comedy because then it's like you know angus helps him out and then he just ends the line with fucking asparagus (laughs) (laughs) yeah all those lines are so much funnier and all those other scenes that really are like pure comedy he gets so much bang for the buck out of those because it's cathartic. What keeps it kind of, I don't know if it keeps it light. I don't know if it's that it keeps the humor in it, but it, it, it makes it so that the movie isn't jarring in its tone switches where it's like, yeah, I was going to ask grief and then comfort, why do you think it's but not? then you're like a comfort. I think it's because they are all flawed. Yeah. And so the way that they support each other it's not flawed in a way that is funny, but it's an outgrowth of the character we've already seen them be. Yeah. Right. Angus knows what it knows what a jerk Coons can be. So he's like, Hey, whatever I feel about this. And it stinks. <laughs> Things stink in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't want this kid to go through what I'm going through. It's all coming out of this place of, I recognize this. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it feel better quality-wise than something like um, Goodwill Hunting, you know, where you've got Paul with the you are not your father Mm. scene. Yeah. The funny thing is, I wanted to see him so bad this whole time. But I also didn't, you know? So I'm afraid that's what's going to happen to me one day. No, Angus, 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 listen. You're not your father. How do you know? Because no one is his own father. I'm not my dad. No matter how hard he tried to beat that idea into me. I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. But don't get me wrong, you have your challenges. You're erratic and belligerent and a gigantic pain in the balls, but you're not your father. You're your own man. Man, no. You're just a kid. You're just beginning. And you're smart. You've got time to turn things around. Yes, I know. The Greeks had the idea that uh, the steps you take to avoid your fate are the very steps that lead you to it. But that's just a literary conceit. In real life, your history does not have to dictate your destiny. Oh, there's Mary. Can you not? Which, you know, they could have gone the goodwill hunting route and just said, you know, like, you are not your father. Don't yeah. do this to me. You are not your friend. <laughs> right. You know, they could have just yeah. repeated it. Whatever. But as much as I love Robin Williams and everything in that movie, it isn't awful. Robin Williams is like helping him from a place of, you know, I didn't used to be perfect, but now I am. <laughs> Versus yeah. like this movie where it's like, these are not perfect people. And that doesn't mean they aren't able to help. In fact, it gives them a special sense of how to be helpful, you know? And it dispels any myth that you need to fully deal with your past in order to help other people mm, or yeah. to continue to grow yourself. Like it's not messy in the way other movies can be messy. It's messy in a way that feels more, I guess, caring is sort of yeah. the word that that you've been using that I, I would, I would echo. Like if you take Mary's character, mm-hmm. there are scenes where she is still able to step in and help people. Yeah. She had just had that party scene. Yeah. And she's walking right. out and he's a jerk to Angus. And she, even after all right. that she's been through, knows enough and her character is well-rounded enough to still be able to call him out and say, you don't tell a kid that on Christmas, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. You know? And that I think one thing that's important is that those things can help you help other people. You don't have to be the only one suffering from that sort of thing. Like when Kuntz threw the kid's glove, Angus says, he orphaned that glove on purpose. He left you with one so the loss would sting that much more. I mean, it's not leaned into very hard. At that point, we're an hour, hour and a half away from knowing that his dad is gone. Right. And the way his mom and stepfather treat him is what makes his loss of his father so much more. Like, Yeah. So he's very sensitive to that. that He could have just been like, yeah, deal with it or whatever. You know, he he beats up on everybody. He's like a jerk to me too. So you deal with it. But he's like, gosh, dang it. 
I know why you're so mad. Yeah. But this movie, for some reason, doesn't have that frustrating quality I have in a lot of movies where you're always like, why don't they just tell each other? Exactly, exactly. And that doesn't happen in this movie because... It's such a fine line to walk. It's a fine line to walk, but I feel like this movie does walk it where it's like, I get why they held that in. Or he didn't say it at that moment. Or he didn't reveal it in that way. Or it was just easier to say my dad's dad than to say, this is what happened to my father. Well, and a big part of it, not only the personal fears and shame, is the setting. In academia, people will use things against mm. you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. In high school, people will use things against you. So there, it's totally reasonable that they would keep this stuff from people that they've gotten used to the lie mm-hmm. for so long that we never even considered there was a secret until it came out yeah. because they have done this for years. They've lied about it for years. And not everything would have been easier if that information had True. come out. Yeah. There's just like little gradual buildings of trust and you kind of see it every time they say entree new. Right. That's just a little bit more trust they're giving over to each other and that they lie for each other. Right. And they both learn how they've both had to use lies just for survival right. even. And they almost kind of have a mutual respect for their skillfulness at it. <laughs> like they're both pretty good at lying and they can, and they can do it. And when to yeah. jump in like, Oh, right. this is a lie. I'll join in here. Yeah. Oh, I love, you know, I love the way that uh, Angus is on the fly making up the book because they also try they also try to catch each other. Yeah, right. just like, like, tell them what the title is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. A movie that so immediately made me want to live in it only went on to continue to earn that, mm. yeah. you know, and deepen it. Again, I think it fits that bill of a movie that I was tearing through for the year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we if we weren't recording this podcast, I if don't know if I would have rewatched it. And it was so just nice to yeah. rewatch. And I gained a whole lot more out of it on a second viewing even. And also, I think what it has going for it, which we didn't even get into, is it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, And so I could see myself next year i might pop this in and start even maybe putting it in my rotation a little bit it's a little sadder and deeper but it's almost in that it's a wonderful life kind of vein where yeah this is a little bit of a sadder christmas movie but it's 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 got that same warmth and love and joy and grace in it i i will say that um it seems like uh, alexander payne does not like the christmas movie designation but i mean the author is dead so (laughs) it's out of his hands but i definitely can see uh, rewatching this. There are movies that when fall rolls around, I want to watch them. Winter, I think this is going to be one of those movies that I just want to, it's a winter movie. Yeah. I mean, we had a snow day on Friday and it was a great movie to watch on a snow day. Well, are you moving it up to five stars then? Is that what you're saying? <sighs> I think I'm gonna. I think I was only hesitating because there were so many good movies this year. You know, like yeah. if you're just looking at it as a 2023 movie, right. you're kind of like, I can't be throwing many, five stars. How many five, how many stars, five stars am I going to throw around here? You yeah. know, but I think it took that second viewing for me to be like, I don't think this is just me being of the moment. Yeah, I think you're this not just riding the hype. I think this is genuinely a great movie, and I have a hard time finding a lot of flaw in it, to be honest. So, mm. and I enjoyed myself, and wow. I really loved watching. Sounds like five stars. So, to me. to me, I think it fits the bill. I don't know how about you. I I don't feel like. Five's a lot. You it's pretty to, rare to yeah. say on a first viewing right. that it's a five-star movie. Um, so I'm keeping it four and a half, but I, I definitely can see this being one that I come back to and come back to. So, I mean, I feel like we're best buds on yeah, this oh yeah, one. Yeah. Um, 
And we, I would, I feel like before we move on to talk about what what movie we're going to watch next month, we probably need to make sure that we we highlight what was probably one of the greatest cinematic insults ever given when Hunnam says, "Hardy, I have known you since you were a boy, so I think I have the requisite experience and insight to aver that you are and always have been penis cancer in human form." <laughs> I love the the juxtaposition of requisite ser- experience and insight to a ver, and then just call it penis cancer. And, the, and that and that sort of hushed Paul Giamatti yeah, tone. Right, right, I just right, exactly. I loved it. I love that. Yeah, it's yeah, un- unbelievably perfect. <laughs> Again, hard hard to find a lot of flaws in this movie. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, let's talk about. Our next episode. Let's do it. Let's let's move on. Which, much like last episode, we don't have <laughs> an idea for but our keep, next. But episode. keep listening. Don't, yeah. don't, don't wait just, a minute. We're not. Don't, don't hit pause yet. This don't isn't hit stop. it. Yeah. We are gonna we are gonna record an episode in our tenth anniversary month, but we are going to wait until Oscar nominations come out just to see any of those stand out to us as ones that we should do next. We're trying this whole being relevant, thing. right? Right, doing something that's that timely. Works. What does it mean to be a podcast that talks about movies that are timely in yeah, the moment, right? As they're like being talked kind about. of timely, like kind of, but yeah. not too timely, right? Well, then that wouldn't be the can we still be friends magic? Not at all. So we're gonna let the Academy, the Academy, again. Didn't we do this? Before? We did this we let before the Academy we, yeah. pick. We well, we partnered with them two years ago with Coda. We partnered with the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, right. and. They, they chose said, the movie that ended up being the best picture winner. Right. Yes. I mean, that's the way I remember it as right. well. I, I don't know. I feel like something happened. There was some falling out we had with the Academy that uh, we don't quite have that poll that we had two years ago. Or do you think it's, it's just... the other way around. You're right. Once they partnered with us, and we got a bump from that. Right. People kind of realized, well, once they picked it for the podcast, why did we need them to call it best picture? It we was already, one of those... We already knew. Right. It was one of those things where it's like, we ended up actually kind of hurting the ratings for the Academy yeah, Awards that right, year because yeah. it was like, why do we need to watch this? We already we know. know. We know what the best picture is. You chose it for them to talk about. Right. This and award feels perfunctory. So I think in this way, actually, what we're trying to do is give them a bump in right. the ratings. Exactly. With the way we're going to do we're our... Gonna, we're yeah. going to flip it. And, and do you want to explain what we're talking about here? How we're, how we're going to pick our next movie for... Well, uh, we're going to wait until the nominees come out. Yeah. And then we are going to, you know, do the... Op- they're not going to pick it for us. We're going to pick it. Kind of like we did last year where yeah. we picked it... We picked everything everywhere all at once. And then, it and, won, then, and then it won Best Picture. Maybe not a full prediction of what we think will win, but just the one that maybe feels the most interesting for us to talk about the most. Of the nominees. Uh, of the yeah. nominees, yeah. It could be something that we think is going to win or something that we've wanted to see or something that we have seen and we are glad it got nominated or something. But I also think this gives you, the listener... Definitely. an opportunity to weigh in as well like when those nominees yeah. come out let us know you which have, one do you, you have think? as much say here as the yes. academy right if not more yeah that's a great point that's how we will decide uh-huh. uh, what our next episode will be so yeah. in, in that way uh stay tuned yeah let us know your thoughts on the holdovers uh on our idea for this year if you yeah. think it's a dumb idea or if it's the most amazing idea you've heard or you know or if you just think you've got a movie that we should watch from 2023 all sorts of things to talk to us about talk to us about the fact that it's been 10 years yeah you know have you been listening to us for 10 years i would yeah, love to hear I that wonder, actually if anybody's been if listening to us for 10 years to maybe not every episode but 
a decade been here a decade's worth of popping in and out mm-hmm. saying hi to Nate and Ryan I mean yeah it'd be great That's so shout to listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes you can find us at canwestillbefriends.net or you can always email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net to be honest, we're not doing a whole lot on Facebook these days. Maybe a little bit on Instagram, but we have actually been a little bit more active on Threads. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you can follow us on Threads. We are we are on all those program, uh, There's platforms. There's a burgeoning but... film Threads community <laughs> yes. that is actually kind of fun. Yeah, so you know, if you are on Threads, uh, if you pop into there from time to time, you can say hey to us at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. Um, if you'd like to leave us a voice message and be featured on the podcast, you can call us at 847 306 95 or you can always email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.